Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash beautifulhumans to become a Patreon. Hello and welcome everyone to the Tipsy Unicorn podcast in partnership with Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. My name is Abigail Twyman, aka Mr. the Mysterious, Babs the Badass Behavioral Scientist, Emerging Social Activist, Tipsiest of Unicorns, and founder of Action for a Peaceful World. Out of Papua, we're on a mission to fucking listen to stories of oppression and liberation, be radical in our development as accomplices, and take action in the service of dismantling systems of oppression that meets the quality expectations of established activists and their communities through this monthly podcast and weekly radical action circles. Every month, we welcome honored guests who are actively working to dismantle systems of oppression and promote collective liberation. And during this podcast, we'll listen to their stories, hear their perspectives on oppression and liberation, and learn what drives them to action. Our crew of Tipsy Unicorns will then center our guest and their story across a month of gatherings. In the Radical Action Circle, we, gen- we fuel genuine heart connections amongst beautiful creatures who are motivated to take action to create a more just, equitable, and peaceful world. We do this by providing a vessel in which our emerging activists and self-proclaimed change catalysts can learn and grow by following our three-step plan, fucking listen, be radical, and take action. At Afapwa, we believe that the stories we hear influence the conversations we have, which drive the actions we take. So the question is, are you down to FBT? Well, then it's time to get tipsy, baby. So I am extremely excited to and honored to welcome our third guest of 2021, Denise Ross, who was recently featured by Women in Behavior Analysis, WEBA, as one of their advisory committee members. And she is the chair of UW Systems Institute for Urban Education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And her research focuses on language and literacy interventions for children with and without disabilities, particularly those in urban schools. So, Denise, let's go ahead and have you start by introducing yourself. What do you believe is important for people to know about you in order to understand who you are as a a person and what drives you to action? Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited about it. Um, I am a behavior analyst. I have been in the field for for like 20 some years at this point. Um, I am very much so fueled by children and the issues that affect children, um, particularly children who are traditionally marginalized. Um, And that has been the focus of my career for my entire career, no matter where I was. Um, And if anything makes me passionate or makes me want to fight, it is issues that affect children who cannot fight for themselves. Welcome. We are you are in the right place <laughs> because that is really what, that is really what we're all about. Um, focusing on taking the action and supporting those who um, are marginalized and have not necessarily been able ha- had the people in their corner to help get done what needs to be done. So thank you for being here. That's so our first segment of the show, we call Getting Tipsy with Babs. And while some might interpret this as glorification of alcohol or other intoxicants, I want to make sure that we're not, um, that that's not what we're about. We're um, 
for us, getting tipsy is all about finding ways to unlock our potential and get in touch with our true selves and kind of get in, you know, get in the moment. Um, So Denise, what do you do? How do you get yourself loosened up and ready to let go of your inhibitions um, so you can do the work that you do? I think it's really important to have balance. Um, I try to work hard at that because I think when you're passion driven, you can really become focused on the things that are important to you and those can become your life. Mm -hmm. And I try to remind myself that that is not my whole life. Um, I write songs. I'm a songwriter. And so I tend to, and I play the piano. So I write a lot of songs in my home. I'm not at home now. I'm uh, visiting my father, but in my home, I have a studio and I spend time in the studio um, and I write a lot. Um, I enjoy those things. I, I love nature. I love to be out in nature. So I try and make sure I walk and spend time outside. But I just think it's really important to have balance, spend time with my family, just ensure that I'm not so hyper-focused on um, what at times can be really rewarding and at times can feel very kind of heavy because of the issues that occur with children to give myself that balance. Mm, yeah, I, I love that. And I love that we have that connection because I am also a writer and, I, and I'm like a, a, a budding pianist. Um, and and that also like brings me so much just centering and calmness. So I'm that's really cool that mm-hmm. you're that you find that too. And you know, focusing on that balance yeah. because it it is. It is so like I feel like we, you know, have that connection where I, I am so reinforced by the work what I that I do. I love it. It brings me so much joy. Um, but it also can bring a lot of pain because there's so much to do right. and so many inequities that we have that we're working to dismantle um that it's that balance and connection with yourself um and especially through i think the creative arts um is something that is not um that we don't focus enough on focus enough time and attention because it's always about you know go 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 we must check check these things off of our list so that's really cool i look forward to hearing some of your lyrics and music hopefully share those with us (laughs) (laughs) Um, awesome. So um, in our in our segment, Deal with Babs, we drop everything and listen um, to a kind of like reading. So we, ha- we asked you to offer up some recommendations for books or articles that you would like to um, share with our people, with our crew, to help them understand kind of the foundation of who you are in the work that you do. And then if you have a passage or something else that you would like to, you know, a reading that you'd like to share with us, um, you're welcome to do so. So what did you, what did you bring for us today to share in terms of reading recommendations and uh, possibly uh, something to share from one of those readings? Yeah, reading recommendations. So I have three. Um, So the first one um, kind of, I think, it describes my passion for kids. Um, and it's by Gloria Latson Billings, who does a lot of work on, um, she, she just created this theoretical framework called culturally relevant pedagogy. She was really concerned about the narrative in academic literature about black and brown children and how often um, when she created this narrative, there were all these negative descriptions of them. And she couldn't find positive things. They were always like, how they were underperforming in school. And so she began to look at teachers who were working successfully with Black children. They were doing really, really well. And she created a framework around successful teachers of African-American children. 
So she has this book called Crossing Over to Canaan, The Journey of New Teachers in Diverse Classrooms. Um, and so I, she, I, I have a little quote from her, if that's okay to yeah, share with, that, with you with that. And so um, the teacher believes that she talks about a successful teacher. A, t- a successful teacher believes that student success um, has consequences for his or, own quality, his or her own quality of life. Part of seeing students both as they are and how they can be involves maintaining a vision of how students' lives are intricately, intricately linked with the teacher. Far too often, students of color have relayed at least one experience where a teacher has said something like, it's up to you if you learn, and if you don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to get paid. This notion that student learning is unconnected to the teacher is prevalent in classrooms where students are failing. The stance of culturally relevant teachers is that what happens to students ultimately happens to me. If students fail and are unable to be productive in society, then the cause of justice is not served. This means that the quality of life is diminished for everyone. Culturally relevant teachers' stakes in, in society require an investment in the student's future because it is the best way to ensure their own future. Mm. And so I love that because I think we're in a time period now where um, people are seeking to become anti-racist, which I love and is wonderful. We, you know, But at the end of the day, I think if a teacher does that work, but it does not impact the children that she works with, um, then we're falling short. So I always give the quote that in Wisconsin, 10% of the black children read proficiently. Um, if you become anti-racist as a teacher, but the kids don't learn to read, we've not empowered the kids at all. And so um, I really like her work because it's built to give stu- to empower children to succeed in systems that are not built for them. Mm. So that's why. Wow. The other one is um, from Dear Strong Black Woman by Jennifer Sterling. And it's just this one quote. She writes these letters, this letter, this long letter to black women saying, um, you know, to, to let them know, that, let us know that, that we're seen. It's a very good book. But there's this one quote she says, the one is kind of written like a poem. She says, there are times when you look around and notice you are the only one in the room. Brown skin, shea butter, curls popping. When this happens, remember, you are worthy, you are capable, you matter. So use your voice, take up space, and next time bring a friend. We rise together. Mm. And so I really like that because um, she's talking about you might be the only one, which I personally, as I'm sure so many people have, find myself in that situation so often within our field, in adjacent fields. But I have to remember to to use my voice and speak up. Um. And the last one is Strength to Love by Martin Luther King. Um, I have a friend, we decided in the middle of all this to avoid bitterness, (laughs) to go ahead and read this book. And it's so good. Um, There's this one part when he's talking about the antidote to fear. And he says, courage, the determination not to be overwhelmed by any object, however frightful, enables us to stand up to any fear. Many of our fears are not mere snakes under the carpet. Evil and pain and this conundrum of life are close to each of us. And we do both ourselves and our neighbors a great disservice when we attempt to prove that there is nothing in this world of which we should be frightened. These forces that negate life must be challenged by courage, which is the power of life to affirm itself in spite of life's ambiguities. This requires the exercise of a creative will that enables us to hew out a stone of hope from a mountain of despair. Wow. Those are really very powerful messages. Then I thank you so much for sharing 
for sharing those. And I look forward, I actually did a little bit of reading from uh, Gloria Ladson Billings. I shared an excerpt of her um, culturally, culturally relevant pedagogy um, remix to the 2.0 article. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 2.0. The yeah. And right. I, yeah. I shared that with yeah. our crew last <laughs> week um, because I started reading some of her oh, stuff wow. and I was like, Oh yeah, this is directly in alignment with what we're kind of our mission and what we're trying to, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so I look forward to sharing more of, more of, her and those other the other two um, with our crew as well, um, because it you know centering centering that idea of not I think we have this narrative in our culture that we have to be fearless right we have you know there's like there's no fe- there's nothing to be afraid of and the reality is is like no we have to re- like understand those things that are liabilities in our world the things that could bring us harm. The, the shift is to not allow that to dictate what we do or what we don't do. So don't let it stop you. Don't right. be stopped by the fear, right. but be aware that it is there. There's something to be concerned about it, about, but bring a friend and, you know, find, find your crew, find <laughs> your people. Um, exactly. And I think this past year has been such an interesting shift, I think, for a lot of us in this, uh, in the world and in this field, particularly, where, you know, we have these silos of people who are, who have um, come to believe that there's, you know, behavioral science and what we've learned over the past, you know, half century has given us some really important tools um, that can have a significant impact, but there's that sometimes it feels like you're the only person in the room. Like I live in rural Alaska and Mm -hmm. I often feel like I am the only person in the, in this room and on this Island who think and feel the way that I do. Um, But it's been good to, you know, I've, I think I've, I've started to find my people and I hope that you're, you know, you're kind of finding that too, like finding the people who can, um, you know. Yeah. And sometimes that group doesn't come from where you think Mm -hmm. it will come from. So in, um, you know, I moved to Milwaukee last um, January, and I've been able to integrate behavior analysis into the work that I do here, but I didn't expect that I would need um, an environment that was very open to having discussions about mm-hmm. race. And Milwaukee has offered me that, that campus and the community I'm in there are just very, very open about it. And when I got there, I was like, this is so bizarre because I've never been in this type of environment before, except mm-hmm. in college. Um, but I really appreciate it and, and I'm grateful for that community. So it's come in ways I didn't expect to have, um, to kind of create, like you said, to create a community, mm-hmm. right? So it may not just come from where, where you think it would come from. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And just the idea of being, being able to step forward, right? And like in spite of the fear, um, opens opens you up to those opportunities that you might not have otherwise explored or or thought. You know, you hear Wisconsin, and the you know the first thing that comes to my mind is not anti racist activism. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. Right. So right. it's amazing. It's wonderful that you found you know you found that hub and found that um, community of people who are ready and willing to have these conversations with, without, yeah, you know, absolutely. without abandon. So, 
or with abandon with abandon yeah with abandon. <laughs> um so thank you so much for for those um so we've already kind of um connected connected our love of and of music so the next segment in our show is babs's sick beats where our guests share inspirational music so for me music has been critical in my own kind of journey of self-liberation and self-discovery and so we're kind of collecting some music recommendations from our guests to add to our playlist that we can share with our with our people um, so what, uh, what songs do you have on your playlist that get you, um, empowered and pumped up and, uh, or kind of, or help lift, yeah. lift you up when you're feeling, you know, feeling the pressures of the work that we do? Um, so I have, I wrote down a few of those. So, um, one of them, I'm a huge Kirk Franklin fan. He's a um, gospel artist, a Christian, uh, he's a gospel artist, but more like contemporary. I don't think his sound always sounds like gospel. He has a song called It's All Right. Um, and the words are pack a smile because this road won't be easy. Doubt will come. Believe me. Sometimes you'll wonder if it's all right. And I love that. It just reminds me sometimes like I love his story. And I think that uh, it reminds me that ups and downs come. But in, but if you keep on going, you know, there, there'll, there'll be something on the other side of it. Um I like Broken and Beautiful by Kelly Clarkson. I know it's from the movie Ugly Dolls, but I really, I really like the words in that song. I think that they're really um, powerful words. Um, and so let's see. I was going to pull up with some of the words from the song. So, yeah, kind of going along with what we said before. She says, um, I know I'm superwoman. I know I'm strong. I know I've got this because I've had it all along. I'm phenomenal. I'm enough. I don't need you to tell me who to be. And then she says, I'm tired. Can I just be tired without piling on all sad and scared all of, of time? I'm wild. Can I just be wild without feeling like I'm failing and losing my mind? And I love that idea that like, you know, this balance between I'm superwoman, but I, you know, I, I understand that there's brokenness and beauty and there's beauty in my brokenness all at the same time. So, um, and my other one is, um, I like Tori Kelly has a song called Never Alone, again, with Kurt Franklin, which I love, um, another gospel song. And then um, India Ari has a couple I like. And even though they're older, um, she has a song called I Am Not My Hair, which I love. And she just talks about how, you know, oftentimes black women are identified by their hair or their skin. And that's just not who you are. It's a part of who you are. And then she has another song called There's Hope, which I love, too. Awesome. Well, thank you. I I look forward to putting those on the playlist. And I was actually I was doing some writing the other day, and I have my you know my own personal playlist that I've created. And I was like, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see what kind of what motivation this generates for me. And I was like, yes, this is so good. <laughs> I love it. So, what's on your playlist? Um, I've got you know I um so I've got a couple uh different playlists that kind of have served me at different times in my life. I have my, like my, I have a very short playlist and it's called I'm free and it's all Eminem. <laughs> and <laughs> so, but it was like this, you know, I had like found these four songs that like in like the, like sequence were like this, you know, building right. up. And then I actually kind of utilized those four right. songs and create like crafted my own song based on the lyrics. 
Um, oh, wow. That's very cool. And then, but I have, you know, like my, my motivational playlist, um, Three Birds by Bob, Bar- Bob Marley. That is a song that connects me back to my mom. Um, and so that one is always mm-hmm. like, um, you know, top of top of my playlist. Um, Warrior by Demi Lovato. Um, and then um, Girl on Fire, Alicia Keys. Those are like my three, like, you know, if I, if I need like an extra boost, those are my, those are my three. <laughs> my seven-year-old runs around singing Girl on Fire all the time. So she loves it. So. <laughs> yeah, I've got, so the kids, the kids at school love it. And, you know, we'll, we'll like play that and, you know, just interpretive dance. I'm a, I'm a big dancer too. And I like to get the kids like moving. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. I love that. That's cool. Very cool. So let's kind of get down to the more serious, I guess, part of this. So Mm -hmm. this every month um, that we're that we're uh, hosting gatherings through Action for Peaceful World and our you know radical action circle cycles, um, every cycle is made up of four gatherings, and we kind of focus on. Um, part you know, kind of particular issues. So last month in February during Black History Month, we were particularly focused on anti-racism activism. And then during this month, um, being March and Women's History Month, we're kind of highlighting both the um, continuing to highlight anti-racism work, but also anti-sexism. And I know that, um, you know, when Denisha was telling me about you, she said that you are kind of approaching your work from, you know, kind of a, a feminist perspective. Um, and so we have three we have three of our guiding questions and I'll just put the questions out there and then allow you to kind of share your story and your responses in whatever way makes sense for you. So our three guiding questions are, how have you experienced oppression in your personal and professional life? What does self-liberation look and feel like for you personally? And then what do you see as the path forward toward collective liberation? Those are great questions. Um, so oppression in my personal and professional life. So, um, I think my personal and professional life probably impact each other. And it's interesting, um, since when I moved to Milwaukee, I kind of came full circle back to my first, um, incident with racism when I was a kid. And I, as I reflected on this question, um, I thought about the ways in which being a black woman in this country, a black girl, and also, having a family full of black women has impacted me today. Um, So my mother is one of eight siblings and she has 22, I have 22 first cousins from her family. Um, And so my father is one of three siblings. And so I only have one first cousin from his family. And my mom's family uh, migrated from the South, from Tennessee to Toledo, Ohio. And um, like so many families, they struggled um, quite a bit as, um, you know, within that environment, that, that migration. And um, one of the things that happened was I have a close, co- a first cousin I'm very close to. And so she grew up very different than me. My mother was the only one of the eight who went to college. Um, she married my father who had a, was like a second or third college. He was a, they'd had college graduates within his family for generations. Um, and um, this one cousin was born in a very different situation. And she used to come to my mom's house or our house every summer. 
and she would cry because of the issues she had growing up without having resources, um, having to wash her siblings' clothes so that they could go to school. She was born to a teenage mom, having to help raise her siblings. And she would she had a really hard time finishing high school. She actually had to move in with my mother to go finish high school. So when she was a senior in high school, I was a junior in college, yet we were almost the same age. And so we, we were both at 19, that's where I was a junior in college, and she was a senior in high school. And I got to see, even within my own family, what happened when um, there were differences in opportunity. And I really think that that impacted me so that now as an, it's guided me my entire career. I, I think I made a decision when I was in high school to affect that group of children. I was just like, when this, when, as I get, whatever I do in life, it's going to impact this group. And it's interesting because my brother, who's a lawyer, is also very much so like, as soon as I can do this, I'm going to go back and teach. I'm going to go, like, I want to be, we both have this heart for students and children who are just really, I think disenfranchised by a system that doesn't seem to care that much about them. And so um, that has impacted me. Um, and so I've had my own personal experiences. Um, when I was five years old, my mother, I went to an all white school. My mother, um, I was the only black child there in my class. And my mom dropped me off. And I remember um, the teacher accusing me of something I had not done. And um, you know, you think about the criminalization of black girls. There's a lot of literature out there about that um, from their hair and all the different things that happen. Um, and I remember that happening to me. And I kind of had buried it. I, as I got older, I had to revisit that and kind of reflect on how certain behavior patterns had come out of that. When I moved to Milwaukee and I, I now work with an institute that um, wants us to affect racism, right, and systems of racism and disparities within schools. And I really had to think about what could I draw on to identify with what some of the kids might go through in Wisconsin. And I went back to that scenario. And it was kind of like my it became important to me to make sure that other little girls weren't going to experience that. So um, I've kind of centered my work around how behavior analysis can um reduce some of the disparities and they become very obvious to me when I look at those systems. So for instance, discipline systems where black children tend to be disciplined at rates that are much higher than other groups. And so can I bring resources from behavior analysis to impact that? So I have definitely experienced it in my personal and my professional life, but um, I've been, I think, blessed enough to not have it impact me in a way that held me back, right? But there are so many kids where that's not their story. So I feel the sense of commitment and obligation to remain committed to that goal of shifting the narrative for so many other kids. Um, in terms of self-liberation, um, for me as a Black woman, it's important to not take on the world. Um, I think it's really important. Um, I had a, a mentor years ago when my first faculty position was with, I had the privilege of having a Black woman as my department chair. She said to me, women um, do a lot of service in universities. And she said, don't do anything unless it benefits you. She was like, don't get caught up in this. And I've had that said to me by lots of black women who were mentors of mine, whether they were official or not, they, were, they would say that to me. And I appreciate that. Um, I try not to take on the world. I think that our mothers raise us to be strong, like so many women raise their daughters to be very strong. Um, but I'm learning that we are strong in a system that's broken. So um, 
For instance, sometimes we're applauded when we are the first or the only one to come into it. So you're the first, you know, there recently have been um, some black women who become CEOs of companies and everybody's excited. She's the only black woman who's the CEO of a mate of a Forbes 500, Fortune 500 company, you know, and my, um, a college grad, uh, Rosalind Brewer, who is a graduate of Spelman College, became the CEO, I think, of Walgreens recently. And at the point at which she did that, she was the only black woman who was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Everybody was applauding her. I don't anymore. I'm just like, why are we applauding that? Because it, the reason they're the only one is because of a system that was broken. The fact that Kamala Harris is the first woman to ever be vice president, it's a broken system. It's a broken system. Why after hundreds of years is that the case? And so we're somewhere applauding people and we should, but we also need to understand that in those spaces, they need more support. It's really, really hard. So for me, self-liberation is to work my niche in the world, but not feel obligated to build, to uphold the world, to not have the pressure of being the only one fall just on me because of the expectations of a broken system. And that self-liberation to separate myself from the brokenness of a system that wants to define me um, and be who I am wholly and totally as a complete person without the definition that someone else wants to put on me. Um, and the third question, which was, what do I see as the path for collective um, liberation? Um, I think that, you know, two things. One is um, I've been thinking a lot about the word compassion and really standing in other people's shoes um, and really understanding someone else's perspective and the importance of that. We don't know really how someone else is, um, how someone is feeling or how they're experiencing the world unless we really take a moment to, to sit with them and to understand that. Um, I said it, our, Denisha Dinesh and I were on a panel together. And I made the point that racism is both behavior and attitude, um, that there's a perspective today that it's an attitude, a mindset. So people in school districts teach teachers to read the anti-racist literature, which is great. But the reality is that we have to think about it as, as behavior as well. And I'll give you an example of that that I shared at that panel discussion that I worked with a student teacher who um, was the only, um, she's biracial, she was the only black teacher within the group that we were working in within a district and that it was a district that had its own issues. And the teachers would come and say racial things around her that were, that were insensitive, like um, they use the N word and they would do all kinds of things. And so she was ready to quit. And this was a district that wanted to recruit more black teachers. Everybody's like, we want more teachers of color. I get emails all the time. Can you help us get more teachers of color? And so I called the district and I just said, look, I, I was friends with the person who was in charge of the program. And I just said, this is happening. And I love her. She's a great person. One of the things she said to me, though, was that this district is on its own journey towards um, towards um, being anti-racist. And it's going to take some time. And from a behavioral standpoint, I just said, I don't know what that means because I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what racism looks like in your mind, but I know what their behaviors look like. And so they just need to stop walking in the room and saying things that are race that are racially insensitive. That's it. I don't whether or not they ever arrive at what anti-racist is. I don't know by their attitudes, but I do know their behaviors. We don't have years to wait for her to experience this. So she went to the school and the school addressed it. And now that student teacher stayed on as a teacher in that district. So that district that had a lack of black teachers has been able to retain one. 
Because when you look at it as behavior and not just attitude, I'm not just waiting for your attitude to catch up. I need for you to shift the behavior because it's measured by the impact it has on the people who are affected by it. And so not just by changes in us. Um, And I feel pretty strongly about that, that um, as a woman, you know, a a man can't determine if something is sexist or not. Um, It has to be determined by the person who's impacted by it. Um, And so it's really important going back to that idea of like compassion, that we're standing in the shoes of that person, that we're hearing their voice and that we're listening. Um, And when we don't, we come in and we run the risk of um, being condescending and being insensitive and of not being able to even spread effective resources or effective um, solutions to groups of people. I love, I like your, I love your statement about the impact that we're having. Um, Because as a, that has always been my biggest challenge is really trying to help communicate that to people. They're like, you know, when they, when we start talking about racism and sexism and, you know, like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. And it's like, how do do you know? know? (laughs) Have you, have you thoroughly examined all behaviors, all like the the words and the things that you're doing. Have you examined those to really determine, you know, whether what what the impact is that you're having? Because guarantee that you'll find some. You'll find some indicators in there. Um, but it takes that takes being able to um, listen first, listen for understanding, listen deeply connect with people and really hear their stories and not make assumptions about what we think we know based on what we see or what we've heard or what we've read, but truly taking time to, you know, dig in and get to the, get to know the person. Um, And, and hear that the hard feedback which is some, you know, it's something that, you know, culturally we just are not trained well to do, right? It's, you know, if I'm doing it, it must be right versus, well, just because you're doing it or just because you're thinking it doesn't mean that it's like, it's the right way to approach, approach things. And we don't always know, like if you, I was giving an example to someone today, if you ask me if I eat healthy, I'm going to tell you, yes, I do. I've got plenty of examples of it, but if an external person observed me, they might have a different, different response. And I might not even know what healthy is Mm -hmm. all the time, right? So you need to have, I mean, I hope I do, but there are times I might compromise that for different reasons. And so, you know, it's really important to have some external feedback in a different measure of our behavior, not just, that doesn't come from us. Self-reports are not always reliable. People, you know, we don't always know our motives for things. Um, it is the impact of something, not the intent of it, that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So this, what you said in relation to um, self-liberation and kind of the and the oppression that you've experienced and that you've witnessed and the um, you know the things that you've witnessed that have given you the passion and the drive the drive behind what it is that you do. Um, I just think that's an important, that's important point to maybe dive into a little bit uh, deeper that um, 
to me, kind of reflects this, or kind of talk, gets into like the sexist, situ- like um, component of this, the sexism, where you know women are women are supposed to be strong and resilient. And, you know, take the pain and it doesn't matter. You're just supposed to do, you're supposed to be, you're just supposed to be grateful that we're giving you the opportunity. Um, And so it's, it, you know, it's tied in for me so much with that perfectionism and this idea that if I don't do this, that I'm going to suffer this like severe punishment, which is, you know, to me, just... Uh, reeks of that intergenerational trauma because where I might not have completely experienced that, like I know I witnessed my mom and other, you know, who I consider to be strong women in my life subjected to that type of attitude and that type of interaction from, you know, the, the dominant males in, in my, in my family, particularly. Um, So can you can you talk a little bit more maybe about how um kind of how you see that like the intergenerational component of it um and how you are how you've how you're working toward to kind of dismantle those intergenerational systems of oppression I think that's such a good point that you make like what is strength mm-hmm. right and strength that we saw our mothers and our aunts and our grandmothers had. Um, They also were in different time periods and they took some things that we might not need to take in our generation, but we may have had, we might not realize that we saw that as a model until we have confronted in our own lives. Right. So um, I know that um, I think about just, I was thinking about this um, before and how, I mean, earlier last, Sometime last year, I was thinking about how you raise your kids um, and how you may have seen certain things happen. And women take on lots and lots of, um, you know, lots and lots of duties that it seemed like it should be. Somehow my mother made it look so easy to have a whole career, have a house, have a husband, have two kids and just never have a nanny, never have. I mean, how she does it, how she did it. And and, and there were single moms around that made it look so easy. So when I chose to um, foster adopt my own child, I thought that it would be so simple. I'd seen all these women do it. And I remember about three months in going, how did they do this? I just don't understand how you were able to do this by yourself, right? Um, And I think that I've had to kind of at times say how much of what I observed was um, what they thought they had to accept and how much of that is what I can shift for me because it works for me and not feel guilty like you're not measuring up to the standard, right? I think the same thing is true even within your professional career. We've had models maybe in the past that had to do things a certain way, but do you have to? Um, And is that the direction that you have to go in to achieve some of the outcomes you hope to achieve? And so I think questioning that is where it starts and your question was just right on, you know, and my question what you've seen in previous generations and and people around you. Yeah, it's it's so it's so true because it's because you don't know you don't know what was going on in in your mom's head or your grandma's head about like kind of in relation to what they were doing. Were they just sucking it up and keeping you know that screwed on smile like yeah yeah everything's fine, but it's not really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know mm-hmm. it was uh, yeah this this past year you know I've been working myself to talk to my family take take a bit of a stronger stand 
um, and confront some of those things. And I had um, somebody within my family when I called somebody called, you know, kind of called somebody out for being racist and having like a history of like, I grew up with this person. I, I saw it. I heard it. I was a target of it. You know, I was a kind of like, you know, I was there. I was in the room. And, you know, somebody heard that story and were like, oh, that person's not racist. And I was like, okay, well, neat <laughs> opinion. Um, but then I was able to talk <laughs> to another family member who I asked, like, how did you experience this growing up? And she said, when the men in the family would, you know, there was usually some, you know, high emotions and maybe some alcohol involved in the conversations, they would start, you know, saying horrible, atrocious things. And the women would shuffle the children off into the other room. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a behavior pattern that is clearly was demonstrating like, I can't, I don't feel comfortable. I can't say anything because they probably tried to say something and were, um, you know, verbally abused for it, (laughs) you know, like, um, and so then like, like their behavior pattern was to then, you know, experientially avoid, like I'm going to, you know, uh, move away, move the children away. Um, but I just think about like all the messages that that sent to the kids and, um, how that, you know, just reinforce those patterns of behavior, just very interesting. Once you start to just like take the emotionality out of it and just look at the behavior for the behavior's sake Mm -hmm. and what was being reinforced and what was being punished and how those behavior patterns have developed over time. Yeah. There's this story that I've heard a funny story about a um, woman who would always cut the, whenever she put like a a roast into a pan, she'd cut the end of it off and she just did it all the time. She put the roast in the pan, she cut the end of it off and put it in the oven and she just did it. And one day her daughter said to her, why do you cut the roast off? She said, the end of the roast off, she said, well, my mom did it that and she went back to her mother and she asked her mom and her mom said, well, because our pan was so small, I had to do that. So it's like she just inherited this like behavior. I mean, it's a small, funny story, but it's like, why do we do the things that we that we do? We don't even question them. We just do them, you know? And so maybe I think it's empowering. You talk about self-liberation to really ask yourself how you inherited the behaviors you've inherited and where did they come from? And um, whether it's racism, whether it's responses to to um you know, gender bias or whether it's gender bias mm-hmm. itself, um, and then making those um, kind of self-analyzing that way. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting because we don't, que- you know, we, we all learn through observation and sometimes we don't, we don't question that. Like there must be a reason for it. So I'm just going to do it because my mom did it or I saw that's the way it was done. Right. So, so that's yeah. fascinating. So as we're getting ready to close out here, Denise, um, I like to ask our um, our guests for three tips that you would like to share with our um, our crew to kind of guide their future action. So what three tips do you have for our emerging activists? The first one is um, take care of yourself. It's important as you do this work to take the time to take care of yourself. Um, the second one is um, to understand that everyone is impacted by racism. Um, and in this country, even the most liberal people are, are impacted by it and to self-examine our own attitudes and bias, biases. And the last one is to stick with this, to keep going to not that there will come a point when um, it is not the issue of the day and longevity and the ability to continue to make impact is going to be really important 
when it's not, especially. Yeah, perfect. I love that. So take care of ourselves. Understand that we're all impacted by racism in some way, shape, or form. So we need to engage in some self some self reflection and examination of that, and stick with it. Keep going, even when it's hard, even when it hurts. Yes. Do some of the self care, and then come back to it. Yeah. So I love. Come, come on, on back. back. <laughs> Don't stop. I know that's a, you know Denisha and I. Denisha and I talk a lot about that. Um, just you know this idea that's like we've got to keep moving, and that's where I, you know, I kind of find our niche and our role at um, AFAPWA is about kind of providing this place where people can come and gain some energy and generate that power. Mm -hmm. It's like, we've got to keep, got to keep moving. Can't stop, but. You guys are doing a great job. So thank you. Okay. So now for a little bit of the fun part where we get to know you a little bit better in um, a different way. So we're, I have a rapid fire preference survey for you. Um, and then I'd like to like you to share with us um, a few organizations that our crew can provide some gifts of generative, generative gratitude, um, which we see as those things that we can, you know, do in your honor, in your name that will provide you with a little extra boost. <laughs> um, so um, let's see. Let me, I've got quite a few survey um, survey items here. So what, what should we do? Let's say, um, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? I like this one. Mm, my favorite is chocolate, but I'm allergic to chocolate. So now it's vanilla. I am so <laughs> sorry to hear that. That must be. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know how I would handle. Um, what is your uh, favorite food of all time? Um, fried fish. fish. All right. You can come up to Alaska anytime. Fried fish. Lots yeah. of fish. Um, <laughs> um, what is your favorite movie? Um, the Best Man. Best Man. Awesome. Um, and what about your, your favorite instrument to play or to listen to? Piano. piano. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite style of dance? <laughs> um, I like, you know, I like dances that people, like I like mm. recent dances, so like dances people would do to hip hop, mm -hmm. but I can't do them anymore, but I do like them. <laughs> you can be a spectator, enjoy them. I know you watch right, uh, the, uh, So You Think You Can Dance, and I'm like, I only wish I was the <laughs> one of those people. <laughs> um, uh, what is your... Let's see. What's your favorite season? Summer. Summer. It's coming. We're, I'm ready for. I'm ready for some summer too. What's your favorite flower? Um, lilies. Lilies. Oh, I love lilies. Um, what is your favorite sport to either to watch or to play? I like college football. Cannot play it. Obviously, never did. But I'm a Buckeye, so I like New Hampshire Buckeyes. College football. The Ohio State. <laughs> awesome. I love I love football too. I've never, you know, I never got into college football when I was at university. I was at the University of Washington, um, but now I am a I'm a, a professional football fan for sure. I love it. <laughs> um, what is your favorite uh, indoor or outdoor game to play? I like Scrabble. Ooh, yes. I love Scrabble too. Um, and, uh, uh, what is your favorite body product? Shea butter. 
Shaper. And what is your favorite um, color? Red. Red. Okay. And then last one, what is your favorite like aroma or scent? So I don't wear a lot of it anymore, but I really like, um, what is the name? Okay. So I like Happy by Clinique. Mm. So. Awesome. Okay. Well, now we know a little bit more about you and we might have some ideas if we need, (laughs) if we would like to send you a gift. (laughs) Um, um, and so can you share with us, Denise, what are the, who are the people or organizations that we could, um, give a, give a gift to in your name to generate our, or to share our gratitude? That's so nice of you all. So I have, um, three, and I think any of them, you know, I think are great organizations. So one is Spelman College, my beloved Black Women's College, HBCU in Atlanta, one of two Black Women's Colleges in the country. The other one is Color of Change, the Political Action Committee. I like them and the work that they do. And then um, there's an organization called Four Kids, like the number four in kids foster organization. It's in Florida. Um, and they do a lot of work with foster children. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. And I have... Uh, I have a feeling that we all will be connecting outside of this and and having some deeper conversations um, because I think we've I think we've got some I think we have some future work together to do. Um, So um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add last little tidbits before we sign off? No, I am so just impressed. I listened to your podcast just kind of preparing for this and the work that you're doing is great. So no, thank you for inviting me and including me in it. Yeah, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. I'm excited to continue continue this relationship and learn learn more from you and about the work that you're doing and share your share your work with our with our people too. So everybody always has an open invitation to join us on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Alaska time, which is 11 Pacific and 2 Eastern for Radical Action Circles, where emerging activists come together to share wisdom in the service of generating action potential to maintain their anti-oppression activism. And you can find us on the web at www.afapw.com or on Facebook Action for a Peaceful World um, and Instagram as well. So with that, we will sign off and look forward to seeing you all in Circle. Hey, it's Denisha. And Erin. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a Pretty Easy Podcast. So Pretty Easy Podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm-hmm.